And you can take your Bible and turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Dr. George Sweeting, former president of Moody Bible Institute, tells of the day that he noticed an unusual combination of bumper stickers on a car that a man who was visiting the school had parked. And uh, the coincidental message conveyed by two stickers on this fellow's bumper prompted Dr. Sweeting to suggest that uh, uh, this uh, unsuspecting visitor might want to remove one of them. The two bumper stickers read like this. The first one says, Jesus is coming. His other bumper sticker said, escape to Wisconsin. (laughs) Jesus is coming was the first bumper sticker. The second bumper sticker was escape to Wisconsin. (laughs) No need to escape if if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Jesus is coming. Are you looking forward to that? I know I sent you to 2 Peter 3, and you can stay there. Just listen to these words in John 14, verses 1 through 3, where Jesus tells his disciples this. And this is wonderful truth. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus also promised that he would come again as he ascended into heaven. You know this from Acts chapter 1. In verses 9 through 11, where it tells us, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And of course, uh, other places we know from God's word that Jesus is coming again. He is returning. First uh, Corinthians sixteen twenty two. we know Jesus' followers were looking forward to his return where we hear Paul say, Oh, Lord, come. You ever catch yourself saying that? Come, Lord, come. We often say, even so, with what's going on. Even so, come Lord Jesus. I catch myself thinking that. We ought to anticipate the Lord's return. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you ought to look forward to that day and eagerly anticipate it and await it. John was also looking forward to the Lord's return. Revelation 22 and verse 20, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We turn to... 2 Peter chapter 3, and we arrive at a passage where Peter is addressing the subject of the Lord's return. He's also addressing the subject of his coming judgment. In 2 Peter 3, in verses 1 through 9 in particular, is where we're going to be looking tonight. 
And Peter deals with the fact that scoffers will come. In the last days, scoffers will come mocking the Lord's return. And in chapter 2, Peter made it clear that there will be false teachers and he warns about their eternal destiny. And now, as we come to chapter 3, Peter deals with an area of their false teaching. Maybe you've met people who scoff at the idea of Jesus returning like he said he would. Maybe you meet people who scoff at the idea of Jesus' coming judgment. Let's look together at 2 Peter 3 and follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read verses 1 through 9, where Peter addresses the scoffers who mocked the idea of Jesus' coming, of Jesus' return and his coming judgment. 2 Peter 3, verses 1 through 9. Uh, read like this. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So Peter begins by saying that his desire is to stir up their sincere minds. Do you see it there in verse 1? I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Peter knew that how you think and how you think about the future will affect how you behave today. Do you look forward to the Lord's return? Do you look forward to him coming again? If you're a believer in Jesus, I hope you do. If, if you do, it will affect how you look at today and how you live today. Peter knew that this was true. So he wants to stir the believers up to, to wholesome thinking. He wants their thinking to be sincere about the word of God thinking on things of God's Word, the things they have been taught. And of course, we also need to be sincere about giving ourselves to being reminded of the truths of God's Word and to reminding ourselves with the Word. 
when we gather together like we are now, I hope you come with sincerity of mind that you truly want God's word to impact your thinking and your living and how you think about eternity and how you think about tomorrow. God's word is true and mockers will sneak into our lives in a multitude of ways. There are a multitude of ways in your life in which mockers can sneak in and try to discourage you about the truths that you've been told and taught and read of yourselves in God's word that are true. And so Peter says in verse 2 that you should remember, remember, remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Remember what you've been taught. Remember God's word. Hide God's word in your heart. Be sincere about this. And that's everything that we have in God's word as you think about what he's talking about here in verse 2 when he says that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. That's everything that we have in God's word. What we have in God's word, in fact, is even more than they had. The, The original readers of this letter didn't have as much of God's word as we do. How how blessed we are. What a treasure of reminders to train our hearts and minds to sincerely love the Lord our God with all of our hearts and with all of our souls and with all of our strength and our minds. We dare not become lazy and slothful or doze off in our spiritual lives. That's not new here in this Second Peter study, is it? So in verse 3, Peter says that scoffers will come. That's a warning to be on guard. Of course, all of chapter 2 was like that, wasn't it? We heard about false teachers. They were described for us to help us understand how to identify a false teacher. Often it's not even necessarily by what they say. You can identify a false teacher often by how they live in opposition to the truth of God's word. Whether they're speaking the truth of God's word or not, they may be. They may be living in some other way which reveals them and betrays them as false teachers. In verse 3, Peter says that scoffers will come. Look at it. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. It's interesting. You know, we have that, uh, the idea of the scoffers scoffing. He doesn't say they might come either. Is this possible? It's beyond possible. It's it's, it's certain. Scoffers will come. Do you know any scoffers? <laughs> Have you met any scoffers? Have you heard any scoffers? Have you seen any scoffers of the truth of God's word? There are scoffers who scoff and spurn the truth of God's word. He doesn't say they might come, but he says they will come in the last days. Now, you might wonder, well, okay, well, but what about the last days? What are these last days, days Peter refers to? Um, I think, you know, we often say things couldn't get much worse. We must be in the last days. You ever catch yourself saying that? But I think what you mean is things couldn't get much worse. We must be in the last of the last days. <laughs> because God's word has made it clear that we are already in the last days. 
We're in the last days. So if you're thinking things couldn't get worse, then just kind of correct yourself and say we, we, may, we must be or we may be, and maybe it's better to say maybe in the last of the last days. Generations before us, though, have seen worse things than we've seen. You just stop and look at history. Read his, get familiar with history, and you'll find out that generations before us have seen things far worse than we're seeing. And, and um, we see things that appall us and break our hearts and even anger us righteously, I think, of the kinds of injustices and things that go on in the world in which we live. But uh, here we are tonight. We drove here freely. I trust we're going to drive home freely, Lord, Lord permitting. If the roads aren't bad by the time we leave, right? I don't think it's going to be. We're free to meet, aren't we? We're free to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. We're, we're free to worship. And believers before us, many believers before us, have had it much worse than we have had. And, and yet, for some reason, we always tend to think and gravitate toward, we must be in the last of the last days. Maybe we are. Maybe we're not. We don't know, do we? And in fact, we're, we're not going to know until those, until those last days come in which we hear the trumpet of the Lord. We look forward to that day. It's not for us to know, and the fact that we don't know should help us, I think, be sincere about how we live the days that we do have Since we don't know, we ought to live like we are in the last of the last days. And when Peter points to the last days, just so you understand, he's speaking of the time period between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. Those are the last days. And we're in them. And Peter understood that he was living in the last days. He was living in the last days. And we are living in the last days. So if we're alive today waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're still in the last days, aren't we? But know what Peter points to is as to what these scoffers are following. Because it's not, uh, the, the fact this this little side note about the last days is not actually the, the point. Know what Peter points to as to what these scoffers are following. Look at verse 3, the remainder of verse 3. Following their own sinful desires. Isn't that always what gets you into trouble? What gets me into trouble? That's what gets us into trouble, isn't it? Following our own sinful desires. That's what the scoffing scoffers are doing. There were scoffers around in Peter's day and there are scoffers today. And what motivates the the scoffers is their own selfish sinful, fleshly desires. And there, but by the grace of God, go we. And we ought to be on guard against that same tendency. In fact, Peter pointed to this kind of thing back in chapter 2. False teachers live by following their sinful desires and they lead others to do the same. Uh, Warren Wearsby wisely pointed out that if your lifestyle contradicts the Word of God, you must either change your lifestyle or change the Word of God. The apostates choose the latter approach, so they scoff at the doctrines of judgment and the coming of the Lord. Isn't that true? When we do that, when we 
decide to change God's word rather than change our ways. Instead of changing our lifestyle, we're tempted to overlook those passages that convict us or or explain them away or water them down. We dare not, lest we become like false teachers. Listen again to what the scoffers say in verse 4. Look at it. They say, Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, nothing has changed since the beginning, they say. Jesus said He's coming back. Where is He? They say. He said there would be a coming judgment. We haven't seen it, they say. And so note how Peter begins to refute the argument of the scoffers. Look at verses 5 through 7 again. He's refuting their argument, for they deliberately, says verse 5, they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water. Note how. How? By the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But, verse 7, by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. You know how easy it is. It is all too easy to adopt a scientific view of everything in the world and forget that God has created it all and He can do as He wishes. He can at any time change the laws of nature if He so chooses. He is also able to intervene in human history. He is also not constrained by time as we are here and now. So Peter first refutes the scoffers by pointing out that they willfully forget. They willfully forget. It's almost like they say, I know what I've heard. I know what the truth is. I'm, I'm going to ignore it. I'm doing my own thing. They aren't just ignorant of the truth. They willfully choose to turn the other way and forget it. I appreciate these phrases in here that that by the word of God, says verse 5, and then verse 7, but by the same word, it reminds us of the power of God. It was by the word of God that the heavens and the earth were created. Do we forget that? (laughs) We tend to forget that, don't we? When we start to think about, in God's economy, our problems are kind of tiny compared to the mighty God that we have. And yet we see them as huge. We make our problems huge. And we think, oh my, what in the world is going to happen? How am I going to deal with this? And and what if, and what if, and what if? And the creator of the universe still exists. And he's still in control. And all that he created by a word, by his word spoken, is all around us. And he is still in control. The earth is still turning, right? We're still on that, that trip through, through the atmosphere, through, through, the, through space, right? And the sun is still in place, but yet God could stop it all at any moment. And if God can do that, 
He can handle our problems. He can handle our challenges. So Peter first refutes the scoffers by pointing out that they willfully forget. They aren't just ignorant of the truth. They willfully choose to forget. We dare not choose to look the other way from the truth of God's Word. What a blessing we have in God's Word. It was by the Word of God that the heavens and earth were created. God spoke creation into existence. Don't ever forget that, church. God created the earth. Love the picture of God whose throne is in the heavens and the earth is His footstool. That's for us. That's That's a visual for us to understand how mighty God is. He's the Creator. We are not. There are scientists and educators today who deny God as the Creator. That's pretty handy. It's pretty convenient because if the world just happened by chance, which I think actually takes more faith to believe than believing that God created, but if the world happened by chance and life as we know it is simply evolving over time, then we don't have to acknowledge God's authority over us, do we? Then God's not in charge of my life. I can do whatever I want. I can believe whatever I want. But Peter reminds us that God created the earth with His spoken Word. He spoke it into existence. Peter also reminds us in verse 6 of the flood that God used to destroy the, the face of the earth in Noah's day. God did that. God judged the world at that time. He intervened in history. And things didn't simply continue on in the same manner at that point. God used a worldwide flood to judge the world. God is also capable of judging the world again. So Peter reminds believers in verse 7 that God is preserving the heavens and the earth by His Word. God speaks into existence. He speaks and things come to life. God speaks and judgment comes. God speaks and things are preserved. The heavens and the earth are being reserved for a future judgment and it will not be with water, but it will be with fire. And God has intervened in the past. He did so in Noah's day by judging the earth with a flood, covered the entire earth. He is capable of doing so again in the future And one might argue that nothing has changed, but the creator of the universe is still in control. And he is still sustaining us here and the earth on which we live. He is sustaining life here on earth. Jesus said, surely, surely I come quickly. And scoffers may say, look, it's been a couple thousand years. Where's Jesus? I thought he said he was going to come soon. Look at Peter's response in verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Peter's words are like those that we hear in Psalm 90, in fact. Verse 4, Psalm 90, verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Hmm. 
Now, I've had some watches in the night when I was in the military where I stood fire watch or guard duty, or there was a time when I actually guarded nuclear warheads, and those times seemed to go on and on, but they were nothing. They were minuscule in time. Compared to how we understand time, God is not constrained by time. And we may be tempted to think that it's taking a long time. It's taking such a long time for the Lord to return. But we do not have the eternal perspective that God uses. Peter ends his refutation of those who scoff at the Lord's return with a great and encouraging promise in verse 9. Look at verse 9 again. The Lord is not slow. Do you need this encouragement as you wait for the Lord for things going on in your lives? The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The Lord is not slow to keep His promises. The Lord is not slow. His timing is perfect. Remember that. That's especially helpful when you pray to remember that you're asking for things and they may appear soon or they may appear not in your lifetime, but God is is perfect in His timing. Have you ever made a promise to someone that you you were very slow to keep? (laughs) You were quick to make the promise and then you realized, ooh, this is going to take some effort, or this is going to cost me something, or I'm not too thrilled with carrying this out. Sometimes we put off something we promise to others because it involves some personal sacrifice, some personal difficulty, some challenge. We put it off because we don't really want to do it, do what we promised we would do. We procrastinate because of our own selfishness, don't we? It's tempting. God is not like that. God is not tempted to procrastinate. He's not selfish in the way He operates. God's promises are sure. You can count on it. God's elect will be saved. That's what verse 9 points to when it says, but that all should reach repentance. God's elect will be saved. But we know too that many will perish. Many people will perish. Narrow is the way to to eternal life. Narrow is the path to forgiveness of sins, but broad is the way to destruction, isn't it? There will be many who perish because they refuse to believe in Jesus. They reject God's authority in their lives, and because they do, there is a day of judgment coming. It's sobering, isn't it, to think about that? It ought to sober us up. It ought to make us think as we await the Lord's return, if He comes in our lifetime, your lifetime or mine, the days are short, aren't they? The days are quickly passing. And if you're a believer in Jesus, you are because God chose you and has drawn you to Himself. You ought to thank God for that. Praise God for that. I would also say that if you have not trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord, you should hear this clearly. Hear this warning of this passage. God calls out to you through His Son to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. 
We have in these first nine verses of 2 Peter 3 such reassuring words, but also challenging words. They're reassuring words for all who are in Christ and sobering and challenging words for anyone tempted to reject Jesus. Sobering and challenging words to any believer who thinks they can sit back and relax their way to heaven. When God says, be on guard, watch and pray. Watch yourselves, inspect your own heart. Do not be slothful. Be diligent. I mean, there, there are all kinds of admonitions in God's word that tell us to, to stand watch over your spiritual life. Stand guard over your spiritual life. This is one of those passages that ought to sober us up to pay attention to our spiritual lives and to pay attention to the people around us who need Christ. Jesus is coming again. It's a fact. There are people who scoff. There are people who reject the idea that he will return. There are maybe even more people who reject the idea that there will be a day of judgment. But we have the word of God to assure us that this is no fable. This is no fairy tale. Jesus is coming again. If you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, keep, keep putting yourself under the teaching of the Word of God. Keep putting yourself under the truthful, faithful teaching and preaching of the Word of God. Putting yourself under the teaching of, of, of a biblically faithful church so that you will be reminded. You need to be reminded. I need to be reminded to be encouraged. You need to be encouraged and built up and edified. And so that your faith will be sincere. So so that your minds will be sincere about the pursuit of the truth of God's word and the standing guard over your spiritual lives and thinking about what God has you doing while you wait for his return or you wait for him to call you home. He wants us to be busy. He doesn't want us idle. And we need to be reminded. And so keep pursuing the truth of God's word. You can put yourself under the teaching of the word. That's necessary for for us as the church to be under the biblical teaching of the word. You can also put yourself in the word. And you should do that too. Keep pursuing the truth of the word on your own. Be on guard. And ask God for opportunities too to this, to, to, to have wisdom and opportunities and boldness to share your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ with the people around you who need him. Pray for that. Pray for God to open doors of opportunity for you to share the gospel, to share the truth of the Lord's return, to share the truth of coming judgment. what we're to be about as a church, isn't it? It's what God's been equipping us for and continues to equip us for. And and we are continually being reminded of these things so that we will be ready and not idle, but working. As Peter says, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. 
be reminded. (laughs) Welcome being reminded. Welcome hearing the same truths again because you're quickly going to forget them. (laughs) The week ahead of you may, may steal them from your thinking. And we need to be reminded by God's Word. And we are blessed to have these truths before us, blessed to have these reminders, these warnings, these challenges. And I am so thankful for them. And I pray that you are grateful for God's Word and grateful for the blessings of the truths of God's Word as we remind ourselves, remind one another to stand fast in the Word of truth.